0: That eternal life and heaven is their home. It is my hope and prayer that each and every one of us would do the same. And in today we can celebrate the God who graciously calls us home to himself. If you're able to this morning, let me invite you to stand with me as we read the word of God. I'll be reading from Psalm 126 today as the psalmist writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When the Lord brought back the captive ones to Zion, we were like those who dream. that our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro, weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your grace, your mercy. Thank you, God, you have sought uh, us out in the midst of our sin, and you have called us home to yourself. Lord, thank You for calling us to this place today as we celebrate Your faithfulness to this church over the years. We also thank You, God, for allowing us to be part of that number, part of that multitude. We pray, Lord, we would run the race that is prepared for us as faithfully as those who have gone before us have. And Lord, as we come together today, we also lift our prayer to you that if there be anyone here that is not trusted in Christ Jesus, anyone within the sound of my voice that has never entered into a personal relationship with Him by faith, we pray that through the preaching of Your Word, the power moving of Your Holy Spirit, we pray for conviction of sin, we pray for regenerating faith today. And Father, as we come to Your Word, we come with reverence and expectation Lord, you will speak to us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Psalm 126, as you may see in your Bible, is labeled as a song of ascent or a song of moving upwards. This is the seventh out of a series of 15 psalms grouped together underneath that specific heading. It is sometimes referred to as pilgrim songs, as uh, the girl sang for us, the wayfaring stranger and traveling through. And It's a song meant for pilgrims as they journeyed toward Jerusalem. For whatever reason, being away from the capital city of God and, and approaching Jerusalem, they, these pilgrims would sing these specific songs in those occasions. And what we see here is most likely a time of national calamity that for whatever reason uh, the, the city of God had been held captive or, 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 or some were taken away from Jerusalem and held captive. Some have, have expressed perhaps this was during the period known as the Babylonian captivity as Babylon had conquered uh, Judah and, and uh, sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and, and carried away many of God's people into exile. We know in Scripture that after a period of 70 years, the exiles were then able to return home. And maybe in that context, this song was either written or definitely this song was sung during that time. And God's people were coming home. And as we read this chapter, we're, we're clearly shown that the theme here is one of happiness. As God's people come home, they have been weary and they have been worn out and they have wept, but yet they are now coming home and, and they are glad. They are so glad, so happy to be coming home. And as we think about homecoming today and how God has called us to himself, the first thing I think we could do from this psalm is sing to the Lord with happiness. We can sing to the Lord with happiness. We have a song here. The book of Psalms is a collection of songs. And we have a song here that's broken down into two stanzas. First three verses are stanza one. Last three verses are stanza two. In the first stanza, we see that we respond to God with our lips, with our lips, our words, our, our mouth. And, and why? Why are we as God's people called to sing to Him? Why is that an appropriate response to God and an expected response to God, singing, worship, praise. First of all, because of the redemption of the sufferers redemption the word redemption means to be to be purchased back to be brought back and that's clearly the context of this psalm here as it says when the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion there is redemption that takes place here God's people had been enslaved they had been captives but yet now God has released them from that and they are very glad about that and that is good news that's the good news of God's salvation As we think about that historical setting there, God's people literally had been held captive, but now they've been released and they were celebrating that. The same thing happens to you and I spiritually. First of all, we see that there is a spiritual captivity. A spiritual captivity. The pilgrims were traveling to Jerusalem and they were happy and they were thinking about what God had saved them from, what God had rescued them from, how God had set them free spiritual captivity it says when the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion they had been held as prisoners of war the enemy had come and had had bound them and they were not free but now they have been released from that same thing happens as we think about our spiritual condition we think about our relationship with God think about the reality of our sin We know from the Bible that we are all born with a sin nature that is opposed to God, a sin nature that is very self-seeking and self-righteous. We are born with a nature that has pulled us away from God, and we are held captive by that sin nature, held captive by the enemy. We are literally prisoners of war spiritually. We're told in the Bible, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death and we are held captive in in sin's dread sway as the song refers to. We are in bondage to sin as much so if not more so. We are in bondage like these prisoners of Zion. Spiritual captivity, but then we see a supernatural activity Yes, they are held captive and they cannot free themselves from their captivity, but then God steps in and God does something for them. Verse 1 When the Lord brought back the captive ones, they did not bring themselves back, another nation did not bring them back. It was God who did that. It was the Lord, the the covenant name of God, the God who entered into this relationship with Abraham and all like Abraham that would come to him by faith. It is that God. It is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Moses and the God of David, the God of the prophets, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord brought them back God had a covenant love for his people and by his grace even though they were held captive and even though in many times as it is with our sin nature we deserve the very captivity that we find ourselves in but God in his grace chose to then rescue his people God in his grace has chosen to rescue us at least make the pathway to rescue available through His Son, Jesus Christ. that Yes, while we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through the cross and the power of the cross and, and the sacrifice of Jesus, atonement was made for our sin. The price was paid. We were in slavery to sin and did not have the money to free ourselves, but Christ came to provide the spiritual currency to purchase your redemption your freedom the cross Jesus paid in full it is finished it is a supernatural activity because God brought the captives back and God does something for you you cannot do for yourself and no one else can do for you only God can redeem you and rescue you from sin only God can break sin's captivity on your soul and God does that through the cross of his son Jesus and there is no other way No other way for the captives to be set free. Then the result of this supernatural activity is found in verse 1 and 2. There is a substantial festivity. There is celebration. It says, When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. We've talked about dreams a lot with the story of Joseph and Pharaoh and his officials. But dreaming sometimes thinking, man, this this must be too good to be true. Would somebody pinch me and make sure I'm not dreaming? Somebody maybe needs to pinch you to make sure you're awake right now. You know, a lot of people in here understand it's kind of warm, but nevertheless, dreaming. We were like those who dream. We, we, we had this idea that maybe someday God would set us free and bring us home, but would that really happen or not? And then God, in His and in, in, in his, his sovereign love sets the wheels in motion and God's people are set free and they were like those who dream and then our mouth was filled with laughter with laughter as you think about what God has, has saved you from and what God has, has done to release you from sin's captivity your mouth should be filled with laughter with, with, with excitement, with happiness As Christians, we gather for worship and sometimes our our mind doesn't tell our mouth and our face to reflect what we believe in our heart. We come and we're so stoic sometimes. Where's the laughter? Where's the joy? Where's the happiness? God has set you free. Should not your response be one of festivity? Our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with joyful shouting joyful shouting, shouts of joy. Is that your inclination this morning? If not, stop and think about what God has done for you. Think about coming home to God. There was celebratory worship amongst the Israelites as they returned home to Zion. And as God has brought us home, celebratory worship ought to be The evidence in our lives what God has done for us. The redemption of the sufferers. But also we sing to the Lord because of the recognition of the sinners. In verse 2, it says, And our tongue with joyful shouting, and then they said among the nations. Some translations, amongst the, the heathens. Those literally on the outside of the covenant community of God. Those who ain't saved those who do not have a relationship with God, it was said amongst them, what? The Lord has done great things for them. It is if those on the outside recognized by the worship and by the lifestyle of those who have been redeemed, they, they are communicating a truth to them. And this worship lifestyle attracts those on the outside as the Israelites worshipped God and they celebrated God and their mouth was filled with laughter and their tongue with, with, with joyful shouting those who were not part of that community of faith in God began to notice that and say there is something about them that is unique there is something about them that I need there is something there I wish I had. Does your life communicate that to the unbeliever? Does your, does your lifestyle and your worship and your praise communicate that to the lost? It did in this situation. It also does in the New Testament. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Paul and Silas are in prison for preaching the gospel. And while they are in prison, what are they doing? They are singing songs they're singing hymns and praying to God and we are told that the prisoners were listening we also learned that the guards their captives or their captors were listening so that when God miraculously through the earthquake freed the prisoners paul and silas were then able to witness to the philippian jailer who said what must i do to be saved i want what you guys got does your life Communicate the gospel by your praise your happiness your joy does your life communicate the gospel to the lost also we see in this text the recollection of the saints in verse 3 it says the Lord has done great things for us it's, it's acknowledging yes the Lord's done great things for them yes he has I testify to that as the, as the captives returned to Zion, they acknowledged what the nations around them saw. Yes, God indeed has done great things for us. And we are glad. We are glad. And so we see in this our praise as the people of God ought to be confessional because they said the Lord has done great things for us. A confession about who God is and, and a conviction about what God has done. Our sound doctrine, our theology, we ought to have a confessional praise. We're not here just to be happy and, and make noise. We are directing it, as, as Tom said earlier. We are here to worship the Lord Jesus. We're not here to have a concert. Our praise is directed to someone specific confessional praise. The Lord has done great things for us. It's also corporate praise. Right? The Lord has done great things for not just me. The Lord has done great things for us. The community of God. And we are glad. And we can say, the Lord has done great things for me and I am glad. Nothing wrong with that. That's biblical. But what's also biblical? The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. It's corporate You see, it's not just about me and Jesus. When you're brought into the kingdom of God, you are brought into the family of God. If God is your Father and God is my Father, guess what? We're brothers. Or brother and sister, or whatever the case may be. It is corporate praise. The people of God have always been a singing community the people of God have, have, have always been a worshiping community and they've always done that together and so as we assemble week after week as this church is assembled week after week for 170 years we are part of this biblical heritage of corporate praise and it's proper it's right. Because of the redemption that God has done, and because of the recognition that we give to this lost and watching world, it is the right thing to do corporately, gathering together faithfully, worshiping God. It's confessional praise, corporate praise, it's continual praise. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Not we were glad. Yeah, we were glad last year. Uh, We don't need to be glad now. Yes, we are always glad. Because God's covenant love, it's faithful love, is always there. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. What God has begun to do in this church, God will bring it to fruition. And we should always be glad for that remembering him the Lord has done great things and so as we gather week after week we remember who we were before Christ we remember what Christ has done we also remember what he's doing now and what he will do and so we always want to remember the recollection of the saints as we've gathered here this morning we have heard some wonderful music and y'all been clapping and stomping your feet and, and that's right it's appropriate nothing wrong with that praise God and I was telling Howard this week you know, that the Graham family is going to come and we were going to sing some of these old songs and he got a big old grin on his face and he said, I love those old songs. I love those old songs. And you know, we all have our preferences, right? Some of us love the old hymns of the faith. Some of us love the uh, the old bluegrass style music. Some of us love the new stuff. But the bottom line is we should come together in unity for the purpose of praising God. And in the scripture, that involves music and song. And even though we all have different tastes, when the music does these three things, when it, when it reflects on the redemption of God in Christ Jesus, our salvation through the cross, when it is a style of worship that will, in some way, re- attract the lost by the gospel being presented. And if it serves its point of reminding us of what God has done, the recollection of the saints, if it's doing that, then praise God, let's use it, let's sing it, let's glorify Him with His music. Sing to the Lord with happiness. Stanza 1, responding with our lips. Secondly, we are to serve the Lord with happiness. Serve the Lord with happiness. Stanza 2, the response with our life response of our life it's one of gratitude and obedience as we think about what God has done it makes us want to praise it makes us want to, want to sing it makes us want to shout but then as we reflect on what He's done it ought to make us want to serve Him not because we have to and it's my, my duty we want to do that because it's our delight I have the privilege now of serving God I've been set free not only set free from my bondage to sin but now I've been set free to be of use for the kingdom because when I'm trapped in a prison I can't be of any use to anybody else now I've been set free I'm useful God I want you to use me so we serve the Lord with happiness and we start first of all verse 4 we see a prayer for help a prayer for help the psalmist says restore our captivity O Lord in other words God do something we can't do restore our captivity some of us have been set free already some of us not yet So, Lord, we have been rescued, we've been redeemed, and and the captives have returned. The Lord's brought us back already, but there's some that ain't there yet. There's still some captives. So, Lord, we pray, restore all of the captivity as the streams in the south. He's thinking about in in the south land where there's the desert and, and there's the dryness and there's thirst. Spiritually, apart from Christ, people are dying of thirst. He's the water of life. We have that living water. and There are those who need to take a drink. Say, Lord, restore those. Provide for those who have not yet been set free. Provide for them in a dry and thirsty land this drink of the living water God I'm praying to you I need you to do this we need you to do this God we can't do it we can't restore the captives we can't give them eternal life only you can do that God a prayer for help then we see a promise of hope in verse 5 those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting sowing in tears are our labor our service I'm not a farmer. I don't pretend to be one. Some of you all are, and I have utmost respect and admiration for y'all because it is hard work. I don't do it, but I know enough about it to know it ain't easy. Some of y'all are saying amen to that. You know, I might not have heard you, but I know you're saying it in your heart. You know, it's hard work, and you're sowing in tears, laboring. But the the hope is that when you do this labor, one day you're going to reap. And there will be results and there will be a prize and all the hard work will pay off. Typically, if you want to harvest, you've got to sow it first. Then the harvest comes later. And it requires a degree of faith, does it not? I'm going to sow this seed and I'm going to to try to water it and fertilize it and do what I can do, but at the end of the day, I can't make that seed sprout and grow and produce a crop. And faith... I'm believing and trusting that's going to work and my work will be worth the efforts. And the promise of hope, according to God, is this. Those who sow, those who labor with tears, they shall reap the promise with joyful shouting. It will pay off. The bitterness of this life, one day it's going to be worth it for the Christian. The psalmist says in Psalm 30, verse, verse 5, Though the sorrow may last for the night... What comes in the morning? Joy. Though the sorrow lasts for the night, it's temporary. Joy is coming in the morning. That's the promise of hope that I must persevere in this. It's going to be hard sometimes. It's going to be struggle sometimes. There's going to be weeping sometimes. And there's going to be some stuff I don't like, but I'm going to work and labor for the Lord and persevere in this thing called Christian faith. And there will one day then be the prize the harvest the joyful shouting which leads us to our final point we serve the Lord with happiness because there is a purpose to heed a purpose to heed he says those who sow in tears and here in verse 6 he unpacks that for us and shows us the expectation of one who has been redeemed of the the restored community of God here is what God expects We can never pay Him back. But, out of gratitude and appreciation for what God has done for me, here's what I want to offer to the Lord. And it's in verse 6. We see, first of all, weeping. Weeping for the lost. He who goes to and fro weeping. As we take verse 6 and we think about Jesus, we think about after His resurrection and Jesus gathers his disciples around him and before he leaves this world to return back to heaven from one day he will return he gives them a mission does he not we call it the great commission go into all the world and make disciples baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that he has commanded and he gives a promise lo I'm with you always at the end of the age and so Jesus gives his followers this task this mission and his mission involves weeping for the lost for those who are sinners because we believe if we believe what the Bible says if it's the word of God we believe that heaven and hell hang in the balance we believe in a place called heaven and the only way we go to heaven is by putting our faith and trust in Jesus in return and repenting from our sins that's biblical if we believe the word of God it's what it says and those who do that will go to heaven those who do not do that will go to hell all eternity and so we begin to then think about that that there are those who have not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus and we go to and fro because that's what the great commission says to do we go to and fro and as we do that we're weeping over the reality that not everybody that we know has trusted in Christ not everyone we love is born again through faith in Jesus and that ought to bother you that ought to hurt ought to break your heart but then when I look around today at the modern church I see a lack of evangelistic fervency are we really weeping over the souls of the lost there's an old hymn that said did Christ over sinners weep and shall my cheeks stay dry Jesus wept for the lost and yet I'm somehow going to walk around this place in joyful admiration and appreciation for God and not be broken hearted for the rest of the captives God set me free, praise God, I'm good, to hell with the rest of y'all. We might not say that, but practically, does our lifestyle reflect that? Do we truly weep over the lost? Our altars ought to be full every Sunday as we think about loved ones. We think about Children and grandchildren and siblings and parents and, 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 and best friends, co workers, people that we know and love that are not yet in the relationship with God and they're headed to hell unless God does something to change their hearts. Our altars ought to be full, but yet, week after week, we go about our merry way. I'm happy, yet others are dying of thirst weeping for the lost pleading for God to change hearts and as we're weeping then we also see witnessing witnessing to the lost in verse 6 he who goes to and fro weeping carrying his bag of seed you can't you can't reap a harvest if you're not sowing a seed we can't reap a spiritual harvest unless we are spiritually sowing a seed The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so it's by the power of God. It's by the Gospel message. It's a verbal proclamation that we sow spiritually into the hearts of those who are lost. That's the only way you're going to save somebody. You can't save them. The Word of God does that. The Spirit of God does that. Last Sunday night, we looked at the parable of the sower where he's out there scattering seed and it's landing in four different kinds of soil. And the only soil that produces a crop, that produces fruit, as a heart, we are told, that is noble, a heart that is good, a heart that is humble, a heart that is ready, and the ground is broken up, and that seed just falls on that fertile soil, and that seed does its job. So we are out there in the world, we're going to and fro, we're weeping for the lost, but we're also sharing the good news. You don't have to be a a professional clergyman to do that. We're all called to do that. It's the power of the Word. And so we are going to and fro, we're weeping, and we are carrying our seed, we're carrying the Word of God, and every chance we get, we're speaking a good word for Jesus. We're inviting people to church. We're inviting people uh, to Bible school. We are, we are, are giving out gospel tracts. We are, we are sharing our testimony. This is what God's done for me. That's gospel truth. That works. We're building relationships in order to share the good news with people. Weeping for the lost. Witnessing to the lost. Finally, winning the lost. Winning the loss in verse 6. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed, shall indeed, he will definitely do this. It's going to happen. Shall indeed come again with a shout of joy. Why? Bringing his sheaves with him. As a kid, we used to sing that hymn Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. When I was little, I thought it was sheets. And I had the image of mom outside on the clothesline hanging up the sheets and coming in rejoicing, bringing in the sheets. You know, I had no idea what a sheave was. And some of y'all may not know what a sheave is either. It's a big old bundle of, of grain, of wheat, you know. You, you, sh- you sow your seed and it grows and then you harvest it and you bundle it together and you bring it in. You've sowed something in faith hoping it would grow and guess what? It, it grew. And you harvest it and you bundle it up and you bring it back with you, and you're celebrating with joy because I have my food, my sustenance that I sowed for. I get to live, I get to eat. So it's a good thing, right? We're going to eat here in a minute, and that's good. We don't have to worry about bringing in sheaves. We bring in crock pots and casserole dishes. We're bringing it in, and, and we're bringing it in with joy, right? We're bringing in the sheaves. But the promise here is when we weep for the loss, we witness to the loss, then lo and behold, we get to win the loss. When you get out and you pray for those who don't know Jesus and you, and, you, and you love on them and you share the good news of Jesus and you live out a lifestyle that's one of worship and praise, guess what? Sometimes people get saved. And we get excited about that. At least you ought to. You want to see people get saved? Share the good news of Jesus with them. Pray for them. And guess what? Lo and behold, next thing you know, you got sheaves. It ain't going to happen. You're not going to reap a harvest. You ain't sowing a seed. You sow a seed in faith and God causes it to grow. You celebrate that and you bring it in as an offering of praise to God. You don't say, look, I just won somebody. You say, look, God just won them. And I had the privilege of being used in that situation. Man, you want to talk about something that fills your heart to the brim with joy? You get the privilege of praying with somebody to receive Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you get to witness them moving from death to life. You get to see them spiritually, their destination changes from hell to heaven. You get to take part in that. Man, that just does something for your soul. That just gives you a a spiritual boost, fills you with joy, makes you want to shout, (laughs) makes you want to sing somebody just got saved and God allowed me to be part of that transaction. God used me as a conduit to reach that person. Mm, that's good stuff. And if you want to be part of that, you've got to share the gospel. You've got to sow the seed. And you've got to weep and it's through the weeping of your tears that you're watering that seed. And God calls it to grow. We take the Great Commission seriously. People will get saved. You share the gospel Somebody's going to get saved. It may not be be everybody. Unfortunately, you can't change a heart. You can't make a person believe. And not everyone will accept that message. Not everyone even accepted the message of Jesus Himself. But if you get out there and you share the gospel, lo and behold, guess what? Somebody's going to get saved. And you bring in your sheaves as an offering to God. So folks, you and I need to celebrate the God who graciously calls us home to himself, undeserved sinners as we are, God still not only chooses to call us, he then chooses to work through us. It's a double privilege. We don't often think of it like that, but we should. I mentioned at the outset of the service I'm heading out on sabbatical starting tomorrow for four weeks, and part of that will be away from home, going on vacation and going down to spend a week of solitude at Clear Creek and, and some other places. And I know after being away for an extended period of time, I'm going to love coming home. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to appreciate the homestead because it's a place of comfort and a place of joy. it be home, sweet home. For the Christian, God calls us home. Some of us have already gone on to be with the Lord as we've talked about already. Some of us are headed that direction. And that ought to make you glad. God, I fill you with happiness. Think about that homecoming that's waiting on you. Then the next question I have not only are you, are you glad, are you joyful that you're going home, is everybody you know coming with you? Is everybody you know coming to that same destination or not? And you have a, not only a responsibility to witness, you get a privilege. You are privileged to do kingdom ministry. Every single one of us can share the gospel, pray for the lost, weep for the lost. God gives us the privilege of winning the lost. Heaven can be your eternal home. I ask you this morning is it yours? Is heaven your eternal home? The only way heaven's going to be your eternal home is if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and turned from your sin. We've gathered here today and it's homecoming. We're talking about going home, going home happy and, and all the joy and all the, uh, the shouting and all the good stuff that's waiting on us there. The reality is not everyone is headed there. At least not yet. So I pray everybody in this service today will think about going home. Think about whatever it is that, that's holding you back, whatever that's got you captive, whatever that's, that's, that's shackled your soul today. God has the power to release that. You want to be set free? God will set you free. God will rescue your soul. He'll redeem your soul. He'll call you home. He's calling today. Why won't you come? What is holding you back? What's restraining you? What does the world have that's so good you don't want to let go of it and grab a hold of God? What is worth dragging your soul to hell over? God is calling you today. He wants you to come home. He wants you to come home. And when you come home, you'll be happy. You'll never regret it. It's not always going to be easy. There'll be some sowing with tears along the way. But the bottom line is this. We are called to worship God by working for God. We worship the Lord by working for the Lord. Not only do we have the expectation, you and I have the privilege to go home, we come home happy, let's bring some happy souls with us along the way. Join me in prayer, Father God. We rejoice in who you are. We.